You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Shape of Water. You clean that lab, you get out. She deaf? Mute, sir. She can hear you. The thing we keep in there is an affront, and I should know I dragged it all the way here. lot of blood what went on in here it was you that found my fingers there was mustard on them the soviets want it we know that much we need to take it apart learn how it works what happened it's an animal just keeping it tame I can either save him or let him die. Don't do this, Eliza. Don't do this. I'm going to be synchronizing our watches just like they do in the movies. Oh, woman, we're going to burn in hell. The asset, do you have it? No! Sir, I'm getting it back. Our concern is the Russians. And fuck this mess. You deliver, right? Right? We didn't see nothing. What am I doing? Interviewing the shit cleaners. He's a wild creature. We can't ask him to be anything else. You were speaking Russian, Bob! Where is it? Sit down! Finish the job, son. Eliza, honey, he's coming for you. All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for The Shape of Water, and the story is as follows. Eliza is a mute, isolated woman who works as a cleaning lady in a hidden high-security government laboratory in 1962 Baltimore. Her life changes forever when she discovers the lab's classified secret, a mysterious scaled creature from South America that lives in a water tank. As Eliza develops a unique bond with her new friend, she soon learns that its fate and very survival lies in the hands of a hostile government agent and a marine biologist. The film is starring Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, Doug Jones, Michael Stuhlbarg, and Octavia Spencer. It is directed and written by Guillermo del Toro and co-written by Vanessa Taylor. Joining me for this review, I have Tommy Barquinero, everybody. Thank you, Matt. Happy to be here. Yeah, man. It's been a while since we had you on. I uh, tell you the truth, I cannot remember the last time I, ha- I had you on for a review and what that was. Yes, I think it was Battle uh, of the Sexes. Okay. All right. So... This is fantastic. I mean, this is another uh, Fox Searchlight film, actually. And I have to say, I saw this film two months ago. I did not get a chance to watch it on a rewatch, but you are fresh on this one, right? Like, you just came straight from the theater? Came from a, a packed house at Angelica Theater in New York City uh, about an hour ago. So I'm, it's fresh in my mind. Was Guillermo there? You know, as as I was walking into the theater, uh, he was on the sidewalk. I snapped a photo of him. I think he had just finished a Q and A in the screening before me. So, 
didn't get to hear him speak, but it was a, th- a thrill to see him uh, in the flesh. Yeah, no, it was really bizarre. Uh, Susan Sarandon, I saw her at my theater uh, the other night uh, when we were coming out of Disaster Artist. She was seeing The Shape of Water, which oh, wow. I was like, I was like, oh my god, that's Susan Sarandon. Uh, right. Anyway, um, as we're talking <laughs> about people who are seeing this movie, this movie is filled actually with what I'm, I'll start off first by saying with what I think is one of the best ensembles of the year. And yes. a large reason for why that is is because Guillermo del Toro, you can tell that he took so much care with this screenplay, not just in the themes, not just in the imagination of the concept, but because every single character, Richard Jenkins, Michael Shannon, Octavia Spencer, Stuhlbarg, not to mention Sally Hawkins, Jesus, we'll get to her in a bit later, Yes, but everybody has something to do. Everybody gets like a little bit of a backstory that helps to fill in their character, their own little side plots. And man, it's so many characters. You don't see this that often lately in films, it seems like, where everybody gets a moment to shine like this. This this really blew me away in terms of just the overall filmmaking process like i i know that Guillermo del Toro loves movies we all know that we know that he is a huge huge movie nerd yes it really really comes across in the shape of water to the point where you could tell that the actors are having fun you could tell Guillermo is having fun and he creates this very very beautiful story that yes if you can see past the bestiality <laughs> you'll, you'll be able to love this story i i would say um I'll, I'll start off with that tommy what were your initial thoughts here on the shape of water yes you know i second that it, it's it's a lovely story uh beautifully filmed i think when people see this film i mean there's some amazing visuals especially the, uh, the numerous scenes that take place in the rain i mean just staggering visual beauty uh, as you say, it's a true ensemble work. This, uh, in my mind, has to be a major player, um, you know, at the SAG Awards, especially for uh, that ensemble prize, uh, the top award there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it definitely moved me. You know, I'd say it took me about 10 to 15 minutes to get into the groove of things. It's a little bit of an odd story and uh, just kind of had to find my footing as a viewer in the first 10, 15 minutes. But it really does sweep you up on your feet. It's an unusual but moving love story. And uh, I think carried uh, on the strength of its uh, performances and uh, cinematography. So it, it was a pleasant experience for me. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You talk about that first initial couple of minutes there and kind of settling into the groove, so to speak. And I kind of felt that too because going into this, I wasn't exactly sure what kind of a genre story we were getting or what kind of a tone it was going to take throughout. And I do admit there are some weird moments thrown in that – you know, you have Guillermo del Toro will suddenly like inject like, you know, gory violence out of seemingly nowhere <laughs> into the picture. Next thing you know, we have Michael Shannon uh, having rough sex with his wife. Uh, <laughs> then we've got, you know, then we've got a, a, a whimsical classic, like straight out of a 1950s musical sequence that is just like. The La La Land crowd is going to go nuts. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's the first thing that popped to my mind. I said, this is very uh, La La Land-esque. Well, you know what it is? I think it carries the same level of um, visual splendor as you were talking yes. about before. Um, and it's got like a very whimsical feeling to it. 
um, that's really, really aided so much by Alexandra Desplat's score. Yes, it's it's a beautiful score. You know, it's established immediately in the first scene, um, and it really has kind of just a very magical touch to it. Um, so he he strikes again with a beautiful score. Do you think he could win? I, I think he could win the Oscar for this. I really do. I think so because it feels in a great way. It feels like the kind of score that is you know tends to generate the most awards buzz. It's very uh, orchestral and 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 lovely. And it really assists uh, the movie's, uh, you know, whimsical tone, as you say. So I, I think he's a strong player. You know, and the character of uh, Eliza, I mean, she lives uh, right above a movie theater. Yes. You know, so we do see some um, incorporation of the movie theater into the story. Uh, you got to help me refresh my memory. Do you remember what movie was playing in the cinema when they uh, actually go there? You know, I know uh, there's the famous Mr. Bojangles scene uh, – that's not playing on the projector, but um, yeah, I don't recall the specific film on the on the screen. But it is a love letter to cinema. Uh, there's this one scene in which uh, this creature he's in the theater by himself watching it, and so it's really uh, I wasn't expecting the cinephile side of Guillermo del Toro to show as strongly as it does in this film. But it's re- it's really a nice touch. It's it's transcendent in a way because what what I kind of got from this in, in many respects was. I almost feel like all of the elements that worked so well for Pan's Labyrinth, mm-hmm. he took the best elements of that film and he reworked it for an American audience. And we've got The Shape of Water as a result. And while I will say that The Shape of Water is not as dark and bleak as Pan's Labyrinth, I do think that there are elements within it that um, – Certainly, you know, there is, a, there is a darker element to it to some degree, but it is a very, very moving story that I was not expecting. It's transcendent, much like cinema is transcendent in a way, and it crosses uh, through different races, cultures, and so on and so forth. You know, what, what Del Toro is getting at with the story here is I really feel that this story, and tell me if you agree or not, I, I think that he's telling a story about what ultimately unites us all as human beings? Is it music, food, movies, love? You know, these are the things that you ask most people. No one's going to say they hate movies. No one's going to really say they hate music. No one's going to say they hate food. You know what I mean? Right. And all those things uh, are, are part of the screenplay that bring – the most unlikely of romances together. But, you know, it, it works. By God, it works. <laughs> it works beautifully. And, you know, I like what you say. You know, it's not as dark as Pan's Labyrinth. And to me, I was very impressed with the versatility of this movie's, you know, tone. It's, it's very difficult to classify as a genre. And I wasn't prepared for it to be as funny as it is. I mean, there's some really great comedic moments especially involving you know michael shannon's character even though he he is a he's playing a rotten person in this film um you know i think in in a way the the film's theme is is a little bit conventional you know it's talking about you know looking into the essence of somebody you know loving them for who they are don't judge anybody on their physical no boundaries that sort of thing exactly you know physical appearance should not be what, what forms your opinion of someone. So in that right, sense... The shape of water. You have a title itself right. and how love also has no shape, you know. Exactly. So, in, you know, in that sense, it's not necessarily unique. I think what makes it special is it's 
you know, very dexterous tone. It's funny. It's dark. It's scary. Uh, you know, beautifully filmed. Great tension, too, with the Michael Stuhlbarg character, I have to say. There's one scene in particular in his apartment that I was, like, on the edge of my seat, like, <gasps> what's going to happen? Oh, yes. my. You and know? even that scene, you know, the stakes could not be higher. You know, it's, it's scary. At the same time, <laughs> there is an element of humor there. Without giving anything away, he does this very prolonged laugh in that scene. It's kind of a nervous laugh. And in, in my theater, you know, uh, there was a lot of laughter in response. I mean, he just plays that perfectly. So uh, Del Toro is, is juggling a lot of, you know, tones at once in that scene and in the film as a whole. Yeah, I think everyone is perfectly cast here. I think Stuhlbarg is perfectly cast to play a ver- what is ultimately a very complex role that I don't want to get into due to spoilers. Right. Um, Octavia Spencer, obviously, if you're going to cast somebody against a mute character, you want to uh, cast a chatterbox, and yes. Octavia Spencer has certainly shown that she's capable of that. So that works very, very well, and she's definitely responsible for some of the film's comedic moments, like you said before. Jenkins has a very, very sad, I don't want to say pathetic, that's not the word for it, but sad and sympathetic character. And he has a way of conveying such a warmth through his presence, his tone of voice, that I was really, really moved by a scene in particular where he is yearning for a human connection with another individual and it does not go as he had planned. And, it, it, you know, it's a testament to Jenkins that this is a supporting role and he's able to still be able to, you know, do so much with it. I, at least I thought. And, you know, you were talking about, too, Tommy, how, you know, the humor, I, I, I you know, he's he's great in that way where it's like, all right, we're going to synchronize our watches just like in the movies, you know. Right. And it's, right. He he has just such such an earnest quality about him that just makes him so likable. He's a wonderful actor, and his performance here reminded me of his work in Olive Kittredge, you know, uh, the great HBO miniseries based on uh, the Elizabeth Strout book. You know, because in Olive Kittredge and here he's playing a fundamentally decent person with a lot of sadness and loneliness mixed in in his life, and he just. I mean, it's just a heartbreaking uh, piece of work. I will say, and we can get into this, um, you know, a little bit later. But his dynamic with Sally Hawkins' character is very moving. Um, it's a little bit uh, leaves a little bit to the imagination in terms of what their exact dynamic is. It took me a while to kind of figure that out, um, the the relationship between their characters. But they do have great chemistry, and and it's uh, wonderful work from both of them. Yeah. And then Shannon playing the most Michael Shannon role ever, I would say. Yes, yes. Right? You know, yes. This, this is what – and this is not a knock on anybody. Like I, I really, really do believe that everybody is so well cast in this that I almost feel that Guillermo wrote, wrote these roles for these specific actors because it's just so perfect. You know, I was saying before about how Octavia Spencer just really fits that role uh, and what it requires. You know, if you want to, if you want to cast somebody to be – uh, the G man, <laughs> you know, freaking scary as all hell. All you need to do is watch Boardwalk Empire, and you go, Michael Shannon is my guy. <laughs> Absolutely. Know? And oh man, it, he's got a couple of scenes in this where he is just downright frightening. I mean, like really intimidating. Yeah, and you know, his, it's kind of the antidote to to Richard Jenkins. I mean, two phenomenal actors with. Completely different styles. I mean, Michael Shannon is your go-to source for brilliant, flashy acting, uh, as you mentioned. 
Um, and is this our, our first Michael Shannon sex scene? I think it might be. Can you recall oh, one? Oh, my. Oh, that's a very <laughs> interesting question. <laughs> you know, for the record, I don't want to I don't want to divulge necessarily, but it, it does bring it bring me to a point where I do have to say there's a lot of sex in this movie that I was actually not anticipating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the opening minutes of the film. Yes. 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 Without giving anything, maybe we should just leave it at that. Yes, you know, in, in montage <laughs> sequence, might I add, in montage sequence uh, involving a bathtub, uh, there's a lot of it there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you know that's another thing too. I I I, ha- I admire uh, that Guillermo del Toro is just putting it out there. You know what I mean? And yes. saying like, hey, this is this is a universal thing that is a part of life and. If movies, music, uh, culture, and love—if if those are hum- uh, universal humanistic qualities, then so is sex. So you know what? Fuck it. We're gonna just put it out there. <laughs> you know what I Absolutely. mean? Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it does also serve kind of an expository uh, element in this movie. You know, for example, uh, without divulging any plot details, there's there are some sex scenes that are romantic and lovely, and they, they say a lot about. You know the core humanity of, of the characters involved. There's also uh, a sex scene that's more about you know kind of power and and, and soullessness, and it's yeah. could not be any any more different than the other scenes. So I think he's he's using it to to great effect in the film. I agree. I definitely agree with you there. Um, okay, the one million dollar question. Yes, the romance between the creature and Eliza. Yes. Did it bother you? <laughs> you know, it did. It, it was a little strange at at first, uh, but I, as the film wore on, I, I found it to be very, uh, you know, heartwarming. Uh, you know, these are two people who are misunderstood, or one person, one creature, I guess I should say. They're misunderstood. They find in each other a, a sense of belonging, and as conventional as that may be, it really does work uh, very well in the film. The only issue I did have is. I do w- wish there was a little bit more, you know, explanation at the start. I think that the way in which uh, Eliza falls for the creature at first is a little bit too sudden for me. It's almost as if she lays eyes on this creature for the first time. The next thing we know, uh, she's feeding eggs to the creature. They're bonding. It's romantic. So I wish there was a little bit more of a lead up to that because it does take uh, it leaves a little too much to the imagination in that sense. But I think it's it's a great dynamic. It's it's not going to be for everybody, but uh, it worked for me. Which then leads me to Sally Hawkins and how, yes, it's a mute performance. Yes, she has to rely on facial expressions, uh, body language to really develop this three-dimensional character and have us uh, on her side and really, really earn her sympathy. But the key ingredient is that she – has to convince us of this relationship with this creature, otherwise known as the asset in this movie by many, many characters. And there is a scene that she has with Richard Jenkins that is, to me, the scene that is that instantly put her in the conversation for me for Best Actress nomination. Yes. Um, I think it seals the deal for her. I think it's her her highlight reel clip. Um and for the life of me, like I said, I saw this two months ago. I don't remember the overall context yes. of the scene itself. But I do remember um, this message that was from it. And that was um, that the creature has uh, two eyes like she does, has a mouth like she does, stands mm-hmm. on two legs like she does, 
and you know she's like is she's ultimately trying to convey a point that they're they're similar and it's because of her acting and the way that she sells it um that it's like oh my god she she actually made me believe it. I'm, I'm it. I'm, I'm in it now. Okay, I'm invested. Like let's let's do this. You know, I I want to see the fish and the and the woman get run off together. Let's let's do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yes. So, um, God, it's gonna kill me right now trying to remember what the context of that scene was. Uh, I think uh, from the way you describe it, I think it's a scene. You know, she knows that action is needed or else the creature is going to be was that, in was danger. Like, was, she was asking for help. She's asking for help. Uh, she, you know, asking Richard Jenkins to, you know, assist her, uh, in making sure that this creature is safe. Um, and he's doing like the whole like concerned friend and also the, being the realist, like this is crazy. Like you don't just go and do this sort of thing. Like, yes, you know, and he's also a creature. He's a wild animal. Like what, what, what's gotten into you, Eliza? I, I do. I remember it now. Exactly. Yeah. That scene is so powerful that th- Sally Hawkins is amazing in that scene. She is spectacular. And, you know, a couple years ago she gave a brilliant you know, awards caliber performance in Blue Jasmine, and uh, here she is again. I, I really hope she gets recognized. Uh, it's it's a great performance, made all the more impressive by the lack of dialogue. Yeah, you know, and that, that's another thing too that I think Guillermo del Toro is getting at once again in terms of conveying that inner uh, humanity um, through these characters, through this story. You don't need words, you know, you to understand a person and to understand the depths of their emotions and uh, the feelings that they're trying to convey. That is such a beautiful message. Absolutely. I mean, it, it may, it may be a little cliche, the message here, but if you're going to take a message like this, you get, you have to execute it beautifully. And that's what uh, Del Toro does. Yeah. So let's get to final thoughts. Gray's out of 10 Oscar potential. Tommy, any final thoughts on the shape of water? Yes, uh, you know, this is a movie that should be seen and seen with a big crowd. You know, my theater was packed. There's a lot of laughs, a lot of gasps. It's scary. It's funny. And I do want to just emphasize to our listeners, watch the scenes, especially in the rain. There's a lot of them. And I just think they're so visually astonishing. They really work in concert with uh, the mood of each scene. Uh, It's a beautifully filmed uh, movie. Uh, For me, my score, I'm going eight out of ten. It was between an eight and a nine for me. Um, it's it's a tier below, you know, my favorite films of the year. But uh, and I do wish there was a little bit more exposition at the start, uh, setting up the dynamic between Sally Hawkins character and uh, the creature. Um, but it's well worth seeing uh, eight out of ten for me. Yeah, I, I think this is uh, Del Toro's best film since Pan's Labyrinth uh, by far, I would say. Do you agree? I agree with that. Yeah, um, I, too, uh, struggled between an eight. And a nine. Uh, this was a film that almost convinced me. Uh, came very, very close to uh, the decision for us to add point fives to the site. Oh um, yes, we are not. So <laughs> I am. I too am going with an eight out of ten. And it was interesting too because when I, um, I, I, me and my sister went to the Hamptons to see this film, and on the uh, you know hour and a half, two hour, whatever it was, drive back, uh, we were both silent after the movie for a little bit, like fifteen minutes or so. And then finally, like, I turned to her and I said, I loved that movie. That movie is the complete package. It's funny. It's scary. It's action-packed. It's got a beautiful love story. The cast is brilliant. Like, it has everything. Everything. Why did I not love it? 
Mm-hmm. Like, like, why am I not over the moon like this is a 10 out of 10, 9 out of 10 movie? What is stopping me? And I think all the reasons that you said before, Tommy, uh, about maybe the cliché-ness of the story and its message. Uh, not the story, just the message, rather. Right. Maybe maybe that's what's holding me back. Like, there's, there's a lot of uh, originality in terms of the concept of the story. But maybe the message, and, and maybe it just came off as too heavy-handed – uh, from me, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I still to this day, I don't know if I can fully articulate why. But my my feeling remains the same. Like I, I can't put it on uh, the same level as um, the nines out of tens I've had this year. But it's so close, like so so yes. close. Um, and and that's just because you're asking me to compare it and rank it against those films. You know, I I think that if you compare it, maybe in a different year. You know, with other films sure. that come out, maybe it is a nine out of ten film that year. I don't know. So, uh, whatever the case may be, you know, the digital photography, like I was saying before, the production design, beautiful. Oh God. Oh. <laughs> you know, we talked about Alexandra Desplat before winning possibly for score. Um, I think this has production design in the bag. I, it's hard to see anything beating it. I mean, it's just each frame. I mean, it's just incredible uh to look at it captures the you know the atmosphere the setting just so perfectly i think it's the front runner for sure yeah and and, you know made on a less than 20 million dollar budget there's just so much detail uh and originality put into the sets in this film especially um uh, eliza's and uh giles apartments uh yes they just look so so lived in and so um fantastical too you know this movie you know even though it's a period piece and it's got these you know del toro like shoots it with brightly lit saturated colors and it just Mm -hmm. carries the feeling that uh, of a fairy tale uh throughout you never lose sight of that while watching it this isn't like a gritty handheld independent film you know what i mean it's it, it carries like the the confidence of a studio blockbuster um, but that's mostly because that Del Toro's going for um, that overall fantastical approach. And I think it works. I think it works rather, rather well. Um, going down the line here, uh, best picture. Uh, I currently have it getting in. Do you? I do. Uh, you know, certainly I see to you in these predictions, but I think, it. Ha- you know, if it were a year where there's only five nominees, you know, it might not get in. But this seems to be, um, as you say, works as a big blockbuster. It has popular appeal, but also uh, has kind of that lofty award status to it. I think it'll sneak in uh, the best picture field. Yeah, I think if people can just see past the fish and the woman, uh, you know, romance, (laughs) I I think that they will fall in love with this movie because this movie just has so much to offer. Uh, Best director, I think this is the year Guillermo finally gets in. And I think... You know, he has to get in for this. It's, I mean, visually uh, terrific. You know, he takes big risks. Um, and as you say, his best. If he doesn't get in for this, what does he ever get in for? I guess <laughs> it's true. Question, right? <laughs> it's true. I mean, I think it's his time. And as, as you say, his best film since uh, Pan's Labyrinth. Best actress, Sally Hawkins. I could see a scenario where she misses the same way Amy Adams did for Arrival last year. Right. But I, I feel pretty good about it regardless. I have her in as well. I think it would be a shame uh, if she doesn't. It's one of the best performances of the year. Best supporting actor, Shannon or Jenkins? You know, this is tricky because I think traditionally the Academy goes for the flashier performance like Michael Shannon, and and that would be my prediction. Um, 
But, you know, it's tough this year. There's films like Call Me By Your Name. Will it be uh, Army Hammer or, or Michael Stuhlbarg, who's also in this film? You know, sometimes the Academy surprises us and goes for the more subtle role, and certainly Jenkins is deserving. Uh, I do think that they'll give the nod to Shannon here. Let's let's remember, last year, Nocturnal Animals, um, Shannon's co-star in that film, Aaron Taylor-Johnson, won the Golden Globe. Right. And, you know, we thought, oh, wow, maybe Aaron Taylor-Johnson is heading for the Oscar nom and not Shannon, and then Shannon pulled it off in the end. I, I do hesitate. Uh, I don't know if they're going to do Shannon two years in a row. So I'll go with Jenkins on that one, but sure. that's just because I find uh, you know back-to-back nominations uh, just a tad unlikely. But you know, right. it could happen because you're right; they like the flashier performances. So very, very, very possible there. I've been hearing uh, a lot lately uh, about Octavia Spencer once again getting in for Best Supporting Actress. I don't see it happening uh, because I think after the help. Hidden Figures, and then this again, I, I do think people are going to just see it as it's the same performance over and over again. I would agree with that. And, you know, hopefully our listeners know that we both are, are fans of Octavia Spencer. She's a wonderful actress and she does a, a great yes. job with this role. It's ju- it's just not an awards caliber performance for me it's simply because it, there's not enough substance to the role. It's through no fault of her own. I do also no. fear that it's very s- similar to the role she has in Hidden Figures in the sense that you know, she's kind of the uh, responsible friend. It's, it's 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 a very similar role. Takes charge of the moment. Takes charge of very well executed by a, a terrific actress. I, I just don't see it uh, garnering the Oscar nomination. Yeah, best original screenplay. I I think. Yeah, wow. an emphasis on original for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, film editing. Uh, if it's getting in for picture, I I suspect it, it could show up in film editing. But you know, it's not flashy film editing. I don't think that draws attention to itself. Right. Uh, but the movie flows very nicely. This is this to me. This movie is like the perfect length, um, and I was never bored watching it. I never felt like there was a a bit that dragged. So I thought the pacing overall was very very good. Yeah, and I think you know sometimes the best. It's a reminder that sometimes the best editing isn't always flashy. You know, for example, we talked about that scene in which Sally Hawkins very powerfully is you know imploring Richard Jenkins' character for help. That segues into a scene. Uh, you know, involving Richard Jenkins, and he has a, a revelation about himself and this dynamic that he thought he had with this other character. That then segues into another scene where he comes back to Sally Hawkins. I mean, it, it really blends together beautifully. It might escape the tension, uh, the uh, the notice of some viewers, but they do they piece together the scenes uh, in a very deliberate way that works well. Yeah, best cinematography. Yeah. I think that that's a film strength. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Production design, we talked about that. Uh, costume design, I don't see it happening. You know, I, yeah, it's, I think, uh, again, this is an area where the Academy looks for more, you know, obvious examples of, wow, what a great costume they designed here. And I, I, don't, I don't think this film stands out in that way. Uh, best makeup and hairstyling. We've seen some very, very odd things get in here before. Uh, sometimes for one character, do you think the creature, uh, the asset, Doug Jones, do you think that the makeup work done on him is uh, enough? You know, I, I'm going to say no at this point. I think it uh, simply because it's only Doug Jones's character there that, that's getting that, uh, you know, attention. I think in order to garner a nomination, you would need to see examples for the other characters. But certainly they do a great job. Doug Jones is uh, – they do a great job designing the creature. Very 
convincing looking, uh, eerie. I just don't think it'll get a nomination, though. And in the last two, um, I have best visual effects written down, but I don't see that happening. That's only like if they really, really love the movie and they really go for it very hard. Right. Um, and then the two sound categories. I think it could get, get in for the sound categories. I think so. You know, this uh, one scene that stands out to me in which, you know, Sally Hawkins is running a lot of water and in, uh, you know, in the bathroom. Uh, it has yes. a big effect through the apartment and to the movie theater below. And you, just the sound of that scene, even as, you know, these patrons are in the movie theater, they hear the, they hear the water above. I mean, it's very, very well done. So I hope it gets nominated there. Yep, I, I think so. Okay, so we're both 8 out of 10s. Uh, we just ran through the Oscar potential for The Shape of Water. Um, it is a really, really excellent film. When it comes by your area, do be sure to check it out. Um, like I was saying before, I think it's the full package. I think that there is uh, something for everybody. And this especially if you love cinema. Because believe me. Guillermo del Toro loves cinema, and it shines through in this whole. And, and it should also be noted that you know this year Guillermo del Toro was also one of the interviewees in uh, Five Came Back, that terrific documentary, in which he's also you know talking about his his love of cinema and talking about the likes of uh, John Ford and those other great filmmakers. So this year he really is uh, you know being very explicit about his love for cinema, and it's a great thing to see. Absolutely, yes. Tommy, where can they find you on the internet? All right, you can find me on Twitter at Sir Barquinero. That's my last name, B-A-R-Q-U-I-N-E-R-O. Thank you so much for joining me for this review of The Shape of Water. You can find me at Next Best Picture on all of the social media networks. Be sure to subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, and on CastBox. Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes. Nothing less than five stars is ever acceptable. Show us some love. Show us some water. The shape of love. The shape of water. Give us a review. Five stars on iTunes. And we will see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.